My wife and I have been on the parenting journey for about nine years now, and we've made the great discovery that harmony exists in our house most on the days when our kids are looking out for each other. And the days that I want to pull my hair out are the days when everyone is complaining and arguing and grabbing. <laughs> oh, there, there are some days that are better than others, and so we've been working on coaching. You know, we coach away from selfishness and towards being considerate of others. And here's what some of the coaching looks like. It'll be, um, hey, son or daughter, when you took that toy and you grabbed it, what impact did that have on your relationship with your sibling? <laughs> or when you keep arguing about who's right, what's, you know, how, how are they feeling? If you look around, nobody's having fun and your siblings don't trust you right now. Well, they're not the only ones because I've argued plenty and I've grabbed for the things that I want or the things that I want to do, my goals. For any of us, what's it like being around a self-centered person? Have you ever experienced that or <laughs> lived with that? What happens to the relationships of this person? When you're around somebody who's self-centered, no one is having any fun, and it's really hard to trust that person. And if you think about it on a bigger scale, think about a whole society that is, what if, what if a whole society of people are being self-centered when everyone is looking out for themselves? Or when people are demanding to be treated a certain way? I think in our recent cultural history, there, there have been moments or events that have occurred that seem to provoke people towards being contentious and grabby and just grabbing for what they want or demanding things. The news and the media can easily stoke that fire. It's, it's easy for the media just to, to stoke the flames of pitting people against each other. So in this day and time, you might feel like you're up against negativity from a variety of sources. You might be living with frustrated or broken relationships you might find it distressing to see some of the current events rolling out in our society, and that, that's stressful. So whether it's at home or in the world around us, you don't have to look very far to find negativity. Wouldn't it be nice to look on the bright side? Wouldn't it be nice to feel a sense of joy and peace even when things are not going very well? My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights Church, and I'm very excited that you've tuned in and you're joining us today for our, our worship. Today we're starting a new message series called The Bright Side, and how to, it's how to live with hope in any circumstance. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the book of the Bible called Philippians. And it's, it's originally, it was a letter written by a guy named Paul who started many churches uh, when Christianity was first getting started. And what's amazing is that he wrote this hope-filled letter at a time you probably wouldn't be feeling that much hope. It, it, it was conditions that would normally depress a person. He wrote this letter during a time when Christians were treated with great hostility. Paul himself was writing from prison. He was in prison for his faith and facing the very real possibility of being executed. And so if Paul was feeling miserable and sad, we probably would have excused him. It, it would have been very natural for him to be focused on himself, on his own troubles and his own life at the time. But instead, he's locked in a cell, bubbling over with joy, using whatever time and resources he has to encourage others. 
And God worked through Paul to write this letter so that we and many Christians throughout history have been able to learn truths that can dramatically change our lives. So one valuable truth that we learn in this letter is that great joy comes when we expend ourselves for others. Great joy comes when we expend ourselves for others. Paul writes in this letter in in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, meaning don't, don't be grabbing for what you want, arguing and just really fighting for that. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. This is, if you, if you take this at face value and you, and you just really look at the words, say this is a big reversal of what comes very natural to us. I mean, I normally think, what are my goals? What do, what do I want? What's good for me right now? What Paul is saying is find out what, what are the goals and the interests of the people around you and forget about yours. Don't worry about what you want. We deny ourselves ease and we sacrifice our things for others. And this, according to this letter, is, is, is what puts us on the path toward a richer and brighter life. It sounds really nice on paper, but we've got some problems with this approach to life. And so Paul, he writes about three examples of people that have lived this out. In verses 5 through 11, we're going to hang in in chapter 2 today. Um, He gives an incredible description of what Jesus did for us. Jesus, who deserved everything. Jesus was the Son of God, you know, who was the maker of the universe, deserved everything, and yet demanded nothing for himself. Jesus didn't exploit his position as the Son of God to get ease and recognition here on earth. He was willing to give up everything in order to serve the interests of humanity, even people that despised him. And it's, if you really think about what Jesus did, it's mind-boggling that an all-powerful God would act in such a selfless way. And then, so he talks about Jesus and then he describes some of his men, some of the guys that worked with Paul to advance the cause of Christ. And he says in verse 19, Now I hope in the Lord to send, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. These guys didn't have email, so they used people to send messages back and forth, and it took a lot longer than email took. But um, he's talking about Timothy, and he gives this extremely high praise that I would love someone to say about me at some point. But he says, I have no one else like-minded, he's talking about Timothy, who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. I think Paul knew a lot of people. He, he traveled all over the place. He must have met tons and tons of people. And amazingly, he says, there's nobody else like this guy, Timothy. He stands out. I mean, I, I bet Paul met people that were kind and generous. I know that he met people that were helpful. But the quality, there's a quality that made Timothy distinct from everyone else, and it's that he genuinely cared about the interests of other people before his own concerns. This is very different. And his character was proven. He says, you, you've seen him. You've worked with him. His, the track record of Timothy is that it's something that the Philippians would have seen evidence of, and they would know it. They would agree and say, yeah, that's true. Normally, what we do is help other people after we've taken care of ourselves first. 
as long as I've got my things in order, sure, then I'll reach out. The, the word genuinely, to genuinely care about the others, it can also be translated truly or sincerely. And if we're still making sure that our needs are met, could I truly, actually truly, genuinely be concerned about the needs of others? It's really not often that we can do both simultaneously. And maybe that's why Paul made the comparison. He said, Every, everyone else, they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so, interestingly, he's equating the interests of Jesus with the interests of others. They're like, like they're on the same level. He's saying that we can't do both. We, can't, we can either focus on ourselves or focus on others and Jesus. Paul says that just about everybody is wrapped up in their own affairs. And I'll admit, that comes pretty naturally to me too. So this passage has really been a big challenge to me. I've, I've often felt like there's a huge gap between me and Timothy. Would, would, any, would anyone else actually say that about me one day? I, I would hope so. A truly others-focused person is rare. Someone who orients their life around the goals of others. Actually, this, this verse is one of the reasons that I wanted to name our fourth son, Timothy. And uh, this is the vision for, my, for his life that I wanted to give him. I, I want it to be said of my sons that they're known, they have a tr proven track record for prioritizing people, other people throughout their lives. The, the Greek, uh, Timoteo, Timothy is a, is a name that comes from the Greek. It comes from um, Time, which is to honor, and Theos, which is God. So the name exactly translated is one who honors God. And so this is the vision for Timothy's life. I, I want my son to bring honor to God by the way that he loves people throughout his life, even at cost and inconvenience to himself. And so I, I paint this picture for my, my sons at bedtime often. I tell them both. I say, you, even though they're young, you're going to become a man who bears responsibility, even at cost and inconvenience to yourself. You're going to be faithful to God, and you're going to be kind to others, and I'm going to be so proud of you. I love to paint this picture for them. I, I want to keep fueling the vision of who, who, they, who I believe and pray that they'll become. I've got a long way to go in my own battle with selfishness, and I pray that my children far outdo even me. Another man that Paul references as an example to follow in verse 25 is Epaphroditus. And uh, I decided not to name one of our kids Epaphroditus because I couldn't figure out the nickname. What would we call him for short? Epaphy, Epaphro, Ditus, Dity. I was like, maybe you could figure it out. And um, this man would certainly give a compelling vision for life. <laughs> But uh, in, in chapter 20, or verse 25, Paul says of him, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Paul uses three titles for this guy. He, he calls him brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And throughout his letters, Paul refers to many people as brothers in Christ. This is a common designation he uses. Some others he refers to as co-workers or fellow workers, but he reserves the title fellow soldier for only a few guys. And here's why. Epaphroditus put his whole life to the Lord's use. 
he, you know, he first he was distressed about the Philippians. He was concerned about them, their interests. He put the cause of Christ before his own comfort. And Epaphroditus was willing to, to expend his energy, even his health and his well-being, his very life for the sake of others. This is an example that challenges us. But, you know, we also, we care about people too. You care about people. I'm sure you're a good person. <laughs> You've got people in your life that you would sacrifice for, that you, that you love and you express care in various ways. But we tend to have a limit on how much we're willing to accommodate other people. Yeah, I'll help out. I'll be kind. But usually we bump up against a line where the cost of serving others is greater than we want to pay. So the question for most of us is, is not, am I willing to serve others? But am I willing to put the goals of others ahead of my own? And how much am I willing to sacrifice for them? When there's a disagreement with my spouse or there's a clash with my leader or boss, who's going to win out? You know, it's interesting about this book in the Bible. Later in Philippians 4, if, if you've read this book before, you may have heard a, a phrase that's repeated often. Paul encourages the church not to be worried. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but rejoice in the Lord. Even though there's a lot in life to be worried about, don't worry. Don't be worried. But the same word for worry that he uses there is the same word when he says that Timothy was genuinely concerned for the interests of others. It's the same word. So basically, he's like, don't be anxious about all that worrisome, troublesome stuff in your life. But we ought to be very concerned about how to best serve one another. If you're going to get worked up about anything, it should be that, how to deeply sacrifice for people. So three men are mentioned. Timothy, we see that the dominating priority in his life was others, not himself. With Epaphroditus, he was willing to serve until it hurt at significant cost to himself. There's a big toll on his body and his health. And Jesus, he served to the limit. He did give up his life. And he never demanded anything from anybody. This letter encourages us to consider that great joy comes when we expend ourselves for others. And it's really easy to come up with arguments against this kind of living. It, it seems kind of extreme and unbalanced. I mean, getting overly wrapped up in the affairs of other people, isn't that, isn't that a little unhealthy? And if I expend myself, won't I, I'm going to get ripped off. What about me? What about my needs? We're not talking about becoming a doormat for the whims and fancies of every person that I come across, but to humbly view others as more important than myself and to put my resources and my energy into doing whatever will best serve them. For the men named in this letter, there didn't seem to be a financial price that was too high. There didn't seem to be a health risk that was too great or a time commitment that was too long. They invested their lives and resources into other people and it was said of them that they were actually serving the interests of Jesus. That's amazing. And such men, he says, are to be honored. You might think, okay. I can get on board with this. I'll, I'll serve some people who have been kind to me. But there's some people that they just don't deserve it. I mean, what, what have they done to earn it? What they've done is they've broken my trust and they, this is a no-go. Maybe just go ahead and think about a relationship that you have that's often frustrating or that's prone to frequent conflict. It could be a spouse, 
or your kids. It could be a boss or a coworker or an extended family member. Difficulty in relationships usually signals a good place to begin taking steps of humility. I find that my routine frustrations with people often flow out of my desire to elevate my goals. I don't like it when people block my goals. I don't like it. I, I mean, I, I deserve to be helped. I deserve to be recognized for what I do. And I think, man, sometimes I just deserve to be left alone and not hassled. Don't bother me right now. <laughs> what if, instead of focusing on what all of these people aren't giving me, in the very moment of irritation, I choose instead to say, I'm going to consider this person as more important than myself. And I'm going to choose to care about what they care about. And I'm going to release what I, the thing that I want right now and serve their interests instead. That's what it means to be humble. That's what biblical humility looks like. So the first step in taking humility is to adopt Jesus' attitude his humble attitude. Jesus himself set the example by serving us so that we can now reflect that to others. And to be honest, when Jesus served us, we didn't deserve a darn thing. When, when he died, he paid for all the bad stuff we were supposed to get. And when he rose, now we get all the good stuff that only he deserved. That's not fair. That's in our favor. He, and he did that for people when they were enemies to him and despise him. And enemy status, that's our default starting position, spiritually. He sacrificed for people who didn't deserve it. Can't we do that for people who we see every day? And what would that look like? Taking another step of humility is to start expending myself in practical ways. There's a lot of ways to do that. I had some family members visiting us uh, the week before Easter, which was just recently. My, my sister and her, her husband, uh, they came to visit us with their daughters. So our, you know, my kids got to play with their cousins. It was a lot of fun. But as we were getting ready for them to come, I thought, wait a second. This is, we're hosting them the week before Easter. It's a really big day. This is a brand new church plan. I'm feeling all kinds of stress and pressure. I'm like, what was I thinking agreeing to that? Was I... Did I agree to that? I don't know if they were coming to visit us, hoping for a restful vacation in California. We're from, I'm from New York. That's where they, they flew in from. But I told them, I was like, hey, I'm really glad you're here, but I'm not going to be super available right now. And it didn't matter, actually. They jumped in, my sister and her husband, Scott, they jumped in expending themselves in really practical ways. They, they cleaned our house. That's practical. They cooked some meals for us. Late one night, my brother-in-law went shopping to the grocery store. He covered the cost. Um, they refereed our kids and their kids as they were playing or, or fighting with each other at times or working things out. Uh, they were real flexible when the plans changed. If I, came, if I came home late one night and I thought, you know, in this concept, if, if our goal really is to expend ourselves for others, it, it actually doesn't matter if the plans change. We can go with it. And they went with it. One night, uh, I got a text from my brother-in-law and he said, hey, we're going to get pizza tonight. What do, what do you want from Toppers? Or what's, what's a good pizza? And I thought, it was the middle of the week, a few days before Easter, and I thought, I don't, I, I don't want to make 
a single more decision than I have to right now. <laughs> I was feeling really overwhelmed and stressed at the time. And I just said, I texted back. I was like, I love them all. And his response was, 10-4, I got it from here. And I thought, bless you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, he just took it. He just jumped in and did it. it was extremely practical, helpful. Their very last day visiting us was on Easter Sunday. That was the last day they were here. And they spent it volunteering for our church. They got up early for setup, sweating it out in the heat. They stayed late to tear down until every last piece was totally put away, all the way back to even in my garage. Those things, those are just like the everyday practical ways that we can expend ourselves for others. When my sister's family visited, it, it was not a tropical vacation. Their kids got exhausted, so did mine. They paid money, you know, they cut down on some of the sleep. Yeah, on a week they took vacation time. When you think about expending yourself for others, you might think, ugh. It just sounds so grueling. I always being thinking about other people doing what they want. How can this be a more joy-filled way to live, really? It might, you know, expending myself for others might be a more honorable way to live, but is it really better? And it kind of made me think of an advertisement I saw recently where um, it was a vacation rental home advertisement. A guy is in a pool and his kids are about to jump in. And they said something like, this vacation will create unforgettable memories. And I thought, that, that might be true. I've, I have some vacations that I look on fondly. But I've done trips and vacations with my sister's family before. We, we went to Florida a few times together. But this, this past week, which was full of work <laughs> and serving and teaming together and exhaustion, was my favorite week that we spent together. I really loved teaming and I and I, they treasured the time too. Certain we were serving each other while building towards something significant. They were they played a part for a week helping a new church get started. Even when you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, you can feel so much affection and delight shining through each page. You can feel the deep respect that Paul has for Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul poured out his life for other people too. This is, this is the way that he lived. And he said in Philippians 2, 17, but even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, since he was looking for the possibility of getting executed, so even if I pour out my life as a drink offering, use up my life for this mission of serving Christ. On, and he says, I do that on the sacrificial service of your faith. He says, I am glad. I rejoice with all of you. He truly found greater joy in burning up his life for others rather than being focused on himself. And it made me think, how different would our lives be if Paul didn't do this, if Paul lived for himself? Think about that. How much impact did Paul have by expending every ounce of his life for others? He has an impact because God used him to write a big portion of the Bible. He's had impact for thousands of years. It's amazing. Some people in your life are easy to serve. You know, you just, it just, you love making their day. It's a lot of fun. Other people, you wouldn't be caught serving if they were the last person around. <laughs> Why is it that the people that we have the closest relationships to are often the hardest to put their goals first? There's two practical ways that I've struggled with this over the years. 
One is sleep. At a certain hour in the evening, at night, I just lose motivation to be awake and I just want the delight of falling into bed and checking out for the day. Some people have FOMO, the fear of missing out. Like if someone's hanging out in the living room, they're like, oh, I can't go to bed now. I don't have that problem. I'm totally okay passing out. <laughs> Another one is conversation. I tend to be more introverted and I tend to be more of an internal processor. I, I, I really have to push myself to share personally, to open up about my life. I, I really have to push myself to talk to new people. These, these, you know, this issue of sleep and conversation, these really are ways that, that I have to expend my energy. It's doing these are, these are a sacrifice for me that I, I need to make. And in marriage, it's often been required that I need to do both. <laughs> Stay up late and talk with my wife. And I've, I've lost many battles and I've, we've had damage in our relationship whenever I've just gone and served myself and I just decided to check out. And I don't, wanna, I don't wanna talk, I don't wanna open up right now. It's caused problems when I decided to serve myself. You might be a night owl. Maybe you love staying up late. Maybe you love talking. You're, you're a natural conversationalist. And so maybe these things aren't you know, difficult for you. There may be other areas of your life that are really hard for you to expend and sacrifice. Finally, one other big way to take a step of humility is to pull into the group. And by that, I mean pull into the church. There's so much value in, in pulling into a church and beginning to serve. When Epaphroditus risked his life for the work of Christ, it was a representation of the church that he came from in Philippi. Paul was encouraging them to continue creating that culture of sacrificial service towards one another. Nowadays, when we look for a church, we usually have one big looming question in mind. And that question is, what's in it for me? And when I first got married and we were a young couple, we were in a new city trying to find a church to go to, that was the question in my mind. What's in it for me? When we join a church, naturally, we, we want a group to form around us. We want to be around people that I like to be around. We want a group that we can have influence or control, gain a position. I want to serve the way that I want to serve, if I'm going to serve at all. It takes an unusual amount of humility to say, I'm going to pull into this group and I'm going to serve the interests of this church, even at cost to myself, even if I have to lower my own preferences and goals to do it, even if I, have to, if I don't get to serve the way that I want to. Valley Lights Church right now is in a fairly humble place. We're not big or flashy. There's way more impressive places to serve. Also, there's not a very big pool of people to relate to. In other churches, you might be able to pick and choose your age and your demographic and your stage, but the people that are here right now, that's who we've got currently, and I'm very glad. But if you were to pull in here, it's gonna require a lot of hard work without getting a lot of recognition or status. Starting a new church, it really is hard, but we get to build something that later on, other people will get to enjoy and be blessed by for years. And they might not know that you ever had a role. So today we've looked at how great joy comes when we expend ourselves for others. This is a very unusual, upside down way to live. But God pays close attention when we do this. 
Jesus humbled himself to the lowest, most degraded, awful position. As low as you could go, that's where he went. And then in response, God exalted him to the highest possible place. In Philippians 2, it says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amazingly, this same dynamic will be in play for us, too. Jesus told us in Matthew, he says that whoever exalts himself will be humbled. It won't go well. But whoever humbles himself, which is what we've been talking about today, if you do this, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It greatly pleases God our Father when we push down our interests and elevate the goals and interests of others. And there's rewards that will come later as a result. And practically speaking, I mean, it's just good anyway because our relationships improve a great deal when we live this way. I mean, imagine being part of a family where everyone is focused on the other goals. Imagine how much tension and friction would be removed. Or imagine being a part of a church family where this is the norm. And as a result, relationships become a real delight. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, there was, if there was a theme, it would be rejoice. How can you have joy and hope no matter the circumstances you're living through? And so we looked at one part of that today. Next week, we'll move on to the next chapter. And how do you rejoice and find hope when you're feeling like you're not doing enough? You're not good enough. It's not measuring up. That's a really heavy doubt and a burden that any of us can struggle with. So I really hope that you'll join us again next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It, it's amazing how much it challenges us because it's so different and contrary to the way we think naturally and what comes normal to us. But this way of lowering ourselves and humbling ourselves, I pray that Jesus' example especially would motivate us. Your, love, your sacrificial love for us would motivate us to do this for others and to find practical ways. Help us to battle against the flesh and the enemy and those things within us that just pull away from that and resist that to really serve, to honor you, and experience your good blessing that you promised as a result of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, and I hope to see you next time.